0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture here in the state of Maine and beyond, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, and in conjunction with WERU, our community radio station. My name is CJ Walk. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the host for today's episode of Common Ground Radio. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the second Thursday each month at 4 p.m. right here on WERU. Previous editions of our show and other great shows can be found in the archive section of the WERU website at www.weru.org, as well as on the WERU app. Today on Common Ground Radio, we are talking with members of the Northeast Organic Family Farm Partnership, NOFFP, a recently formed nonprofit 501c3 organization founded in response to the announcement made last fall by Danon, the parent company of Horizon Organics, that they would terminate contracts with 89 dairy farms in the northeast. So first I would just like to introduce our guests for today's show. We have Annie Watson and Annie and her husband own and operate Sheepscot Valley Farm an organic dairy farm in Whitefield, Maine. Annie is also a founding member and CEO of the Maine Organic Milk Company, LLC. So thanks Annie for being here today. Uh, We have Gary Hirschberg, and Gary is a co-founder and former CEO of Stonyfield Farm. He is the founder and chair of the Northeast Organic Family Farm Partnership. Gary, thank you also for being here today and Claire Eaton, and Claire is the Director of Natural Resource Markets and Economic Development within the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry. So Claire, thank you also for being here on today's show. So I think to get things rolling, if we could, Gary, if I could ask you to speak a bit just about the, found, the founding of this partnership and, uh, and the reason why uh, you started to put these things together.
1: Yeah, thank you CJ and thanks to my colleagues for also taking this time. Um, I'm particularly uh, thrilled to be having this conversation. My uh, organic roots go back uh, to your founders back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, many of them were, some of whom as we know have passed or old and dear friends of mine um, from my time in Eastern Maine. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted. and And I should also add to your introduction that this project is actually a project of MAFCA. Uh, Mafka is our, our 501c3 parent. And so we've been really gratified by uh, the Mafka boards embracing this. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, are, are deeply grateful for that. Um, so uh, the, the short version of a long story, as you said, is that uh, last summer we learned 89 farm, family farms across the region from Uh, eastern Maine to uh, central New York learned that their contracts were going to be terminated within at that time a year Uh, but then subsequently those were extended till or given the option to extend till the end of February of 2023 Um, so roughly 13 months from now and then about a month later we learned that Maple Hill Creamery was uh, also terminating contracts in two waves of 46 farmers 21 of whom lost their uh, contracts as of this past December, another 25 will lose their contracts as of this May. So altogether, that's 135 farms, uh, all family farms, all uh, I would say definitely under 100 cow, more likely the average as we've figured out is around 66 cows. So true family farms who you can imagine uh, with news like this uh, had basically a body blow. So it's just on a human level, it's enormously tragic, Uh, but on an economic level, it's also an incredible tragedy. There's some uh, close to $70 million of farm income uh, that we're talking about being at risk here. And of course, um, as we know, uh, family farms in our region, particularly organic farms, recycle that uh, income uh, at least 1.9 times in the local economy. So the body blow to our region Areas that are least uh, vulnerable, or most vulnerable, least least resilient to handling that kind of loss, uh, may be close to two hundred million dollars of impact. Um, now, this is not a new story. We've seen a steady erosion in uh, farm uh, farms across Maine. Um, by the way, I should have said at the beginning, fourteen of those uh, originally eighty nine are Maine farmers. Um, this is not uh, something new. Uh, we've had this difficulty for a while. Of course, I still am affiliated with Stonyfield. Stonyfield has picked up a few farms that Horizon has let go over the years. Some, as you know, have gone out of business. Um, uh, organic Valley supplies about 80% of Stonyfield's milk. So of course I'm well aware what goes on there. But what was new was the scale and the suddenness and these kind of, you know, uh, it, uh, the, the, the enorm- enormous emotional and financial crisis here. Um, Many of these farmers uh, who Annie and Claire and I know personally, um, they have been farming for generations. So this is not, you know, like a a job, you know, given given like a a furlough. (laughs) This is this is a pasture. This is farms. This is infrastructure. This is animals. This is families. And 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 so uh, I realized uh, and of course, many, many folks jumped to it uh, in Maine under Amanda Beale's leadership and even your governor's leadership, um, her boss, uh, task forces were instantly created. Uh, this happened across the region in Vermont. And a region-wide task force was formed um, with uh, uh, support from Secretary Vilsack. Recommendations went back to the secretary. They're, they're looking at them right now with some excellent and really important long-term systemic kinds of recos that are needed. But as a business guy, uh, again, starting with the families, right, realizing this is first and foremost a family tragedy and a community tragedy, I, I realize that those uh, all, all all those great uh, policy change ideas are important but not going to be actionable in the time that's needed to actually save these farms because the clock is really ticking. And also as a business guy with who's been selling organic to consumers, whether through our co-ops or Hannaford or whomever, I realized that the the only real answer to this, not just for the 135 farmers, but to the overall systemic problem here that allowed Horizon and Maple Hill to release these farmers in the first place is we need more demand. We need the market to grow. Uh, Only with a a larger and more stable market will we prevent this kind of thing from ever happening again. And of course, uh, the the mission now is to get demand to grow quickly, to get, these farmers all contracts in the in the time, so to make a long story short, it's a after many many conversations with Amanda and uh, her counterparts in uh, uh, Vermont and uh, um, in New York um, with Congress people, uh, Shelly Pingree's a dear friend uh, and and uh, uh, Peter Welch over in Vermont and 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 the governors and so forth. I realized that um, what to 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 match up to a an unprecedented crisis, we need an unprecedented solution. And that's what this is. The partnership is an attempt to quickly convene a wide range of stakeholders. It's gonna take the whole village. So what you have here is you've got farmers like Annie, um, you have government people like Claire and Amanda, uh, you have brands and processors, distributors, wholesalers, all have formed the board and, and become part of the advisory function for this thing. And the idea is to um, engage consumers. Uh, It's very simple. Uh, We're asking consumers at at large to commit, uh, to pledge, to purchase one out of four of their weekly items uh, from one of 35 brands we've identified who are uh, across the region, uh, who are committed to supporting these organic family farmers. So it might be of course, Organic Valley or Stonyfield or Butterworks, some of the larger ones, or it might be much smaller entities. There's uh, various cheese, farmstead cheese producers. Uh, You mentioned Annie's group, and I'm sure she'll speak about that. Um, uh, And and so, and some are single farm operators. But the point is, we've identified 35 folks, uh, brands who have made a commitment, a public commitment to grow their supply from the local region, uh, not just abandon these farms, and who are either family farmer or owned, uh, and or um, uh, in, in one way or the other committed to the region. And so we're inviting consumers to buy one of their four items um, from these 35. And in so doing, we hope, uh, drive the market size. And just so you, I can put this in really simple terms, uh, we did a calculation that if 10% of New Englanders and New Yorkers would buy one more pint of organic product from one of these producers in a week, that would take up all the milk from these under 35 farms. So the point is it's solvable. Um, then we're turning, and I'll sort of end this overly long explanation here. Uh, we're then taking this growing number of pledgers, and I think we're closing in on 5,000 now who've signed, uh, and we're sitting down with the Hannafords, with the food co-ops, with the restaurants, uh, with um, food service, with Sedexo, with Uh, Colby College and Bates and uh, any cafeterias. And we're even sitting down with school departments and saying, is there something we can do to help you uh, also commit to buying from these brands? Uh, Look at the market opportunity. You've got these hopefully tens of thousands of people signing this thing. And the idea is again, by having all of the players at the table here, uh, we can lift, the rising tide can lift all boats. We can get uh, more, uh, more demand and more interest. And I'll just end this uh, CJ by saying that uh, we've been really, the partnership's only been out there for three weeks and it's been absolutely astonishing the number of folks who've jumped on board. Uh, On Friday morning past, every co-op across the Northeast signed on. Um, That's uh, 45 co-ops representing almost 200,000 consumers. Um, INFRA, the Independent Natural Food Retailers Association, all the independent natural food companies, uh, retailers across the region have signed on. Sodexo uh, is signing on to help educate on campuses. Uh, two of the premier chef, uh, sort of foodie chefs uh, from New York, uh, Tom Calicchio and Dan Barber, have signed their restaurants on as, the, as our first ever restaurant partners. And um, I've had detailed conversations now with all levels at Hannaford, starting with the very top, Uh, with Mike Vale, the CEO, and all the way down. Um, So there's a huge amount of interest. There's a lot of interest on the private label side. And we think that uh, this may be the right time. Unfortunately, sometimes you need a crisis to wake us all up. But we think this may be the right time to, um, uh, you know, harness these market forces. And by all working collectively together, uh, get these farmers contracts uh, ASAP.
0: Thank you, Gary. That's a great description of of the situation uh, that we're in here. I think, Annie, could I just jump over to you and ask you a bit about your involvement with the the partnership there and maybe a quick description of of your dairy farm, I guess, in Whitefield, Maine?
2: Sure. Um, Thank you for having us today to talk about this. Um, uh, I live in Whitefield with my husband. We farm uh, milk about 60 Holsteins um, organically. We are members of the organic or the co op that owns the Organic Valley brand. So I feel very fortunate to be a part of that organization. Um, And I've also, I wear many hats within the state. Um, I serve on the board of MAFCA, as well as the Maine Dairy Industry Association and the partnership, as well as the Maine Organic Milk Producers, uh, which is sort of integrated with MAFCA. So I'm sort of in the trenches of this situation often, um, even when I'm when I'm on the farm, when I'm off the farm. Um, And it's, you know, it's really been um, it's it's been enlightening. So Horizon did this to seven farms and I believe it was 2016. They dropped them because of scheduling routes or because they were doing some on farm processing to balance their loads. So we as a state sort of convened like a very small working group to see what could possibly be done about this to anticipate when this might happen in the future. Having sort of no sense of when that was going to be. Um, and so we did a feasibility study um, that was funded through the Maine File Trust applied for a local food promotion program grant through the USDA to look into organic processing in state because as many of us are aware there was an organic brand about 10 years ago that was doing very well and all of a sudden had to pull the plug. And so that consumer support was something that really interested us and, you know, what happened, what, what mistakes were made, what, what, um, successes did they have? And so it really brought to light the, um, interest from consumers in more localized food brands, um, especially dairy, because, I think there's a becoming there's a better understanding of how much of our systems have been consolidated, and how that is truly affecting not just our farmers, but it's affecting our consumers, it's affecting everybody involved. Um, and I think COVID has made that even more abundantly clear that these disruptions in our food system have really caused havoc um, on all levels. And so, how do we shore that up? So, um, my my project, the Maine Organic Milk Company, my company, has been working from that from that first round of Horizon drops um, to try to build a market before we're able to launch a, a brand of organic milk from Maine. Um, and I think it's it's made um, it's 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 a labor of love because it's it's a it's a hard pull um, to pull this off, frankly. it's been a lot of work. It's been um, a lot of thinking outside the box and how we can we can make this happen without farmers losing contracts again from organic Valley or from horizon at the time, which was still in maine. Um, and so we've been we've been very creative in our thinking and I'm hopeful that if all of the things align that I'm that are still working on, so I can't really talk too much about it but Uh, of everything aligns we'll be able to launch this brand and um the hope is that groups like the partnership or projects like the partnership i should say um just give a little bit more transparency to consumers about where they're spending their money um you know we've i think there's been so many like wonderful articles like in the new york times a few weeks ago and in in our local press about this problem and what, you know, how, what are dairy farms worth? Like, what is the value of these farms to our state, to our communities? Um, But so many of those articles don't offer any solutions. And what, what was so intriguing when I spoke with Gary about this project is that this is, this is very solution-based and this is a way that we can actually get consumers to understand just by you know, not having to do a tremendous amount of research, looking into plant codes or, you know, really deep diving, they can see a label or they can see a a brand essentially that says, oh, this, this supports my farms in my region and how we need to make it as easy as possible for them to do that. Um, Because the more, because it's very confusing, as I'm sure you all know, the grocery store navigating the dairy aisle especially can be, daunting and when you think you're doing the right thing as a consumer that you're oh I'm buying organic milk from Hannaford but if you don't if you check the plant code on the gallon of milk from Hannaford, it could come all the way from Colorado um, and that's not supporting our local dairy system in any way so adding to sort of the consumer understanding is is an area that not you know one brand specifically doesn't want to necessarily do um, and I don't think it's something that the USDA can do appropriately, um, and so the partnership I think is the perfect vehicle for that. Um, and it's it's taking all of the problems that we've seen, and it's really trying to provide a solution to those. Um, and I'm 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 proud to be part of it as a farmer, as a member of Organic Valley, um, as a you know CEO of a startup milk company. I think it's it's incredibly important uh, important, and it's. You know, I I really hope that people are able to see the value um, in the partnership as well as in what the partnership is trying to, you know, support and, in fact, save.
0: You are listening to Common Ground Radio, and today we are talking with members of the Northeast Organic Family Farm Partnership, a recently formed nonprofit organization founded in response to the announcement made last fall by Danan, the parent company of Horizon Organics that they would be terminating contracts with 89 dairy farmers in the Northeast. We've just heard from Gary Hirschberg, who is co-founder and former CEO of Stonyfield Farm, and Annie Watson, who owns and operates with her husband Sheepscot Valley Farm, an organic dairy farm in Whitefield, Maine. Next, we will hear from Claire Eaton, who is the director of Natural Resource Markets and Economic Development, with the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. Claire, if I could move over to you and just kind of get the perspective of the, you know, the state of Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry, uh, and your involvement, and I think Annie touched on it a bit, but a lot of the things that I've seen out there in the past few months have really talked about the importance of dairy farms in, in rural communities, you know, all across the nation, but specifically here in the Northeast. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of speak a bit about the, the State Department of Ag and Conservation Forestry position here.
3: Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me today, CJ. It's really a pleasure to be here with Gary and Annie. Um, I think, you know, the first thing I would say is that the response from the state of Maine and and from the community that supports agriculture here in the state was swift and it was robust. There are so many incredibly well positioned farmers and government representatives and business representatives and delegation representatives that came together to try and as Annie noted, to find some solutions for a really challenging problem. And so from the very beginning, you know, our first response at the Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry was to as quickly as possible organize uh, some stakeholder group meetings, as Annie mentioned, that brought together farmers and other stakeholders to really try and Coordinate a response and to support farmer needs as well. This, as Gary noted, and as Annie has probably noted as well, this is really a tragic event and it impacted people on an individual level. It impacted farms, it impacted families, and it's a human problem at its core, in addition to having an incredible potential economic impact. And so I think getting people around a table or on a Zoom call to just talk through how to move forward was incredibly important. And Annie, it's it's probably the understatement of the year when she said she wears a lot of hats. These folks are incredibly busy uh, running dairy farms, running businesses, you know, taking care of children who are home. Uh, it's just, we're all wearing a lot of hats and it was incredibly encouraging to see the outpouring of support to try and address this issue head on. Um, from a more tactical perspective, some of the steps that we took at the state level including included meeting with representatives from Danone. So both Commissioner Beal met with Danone Horizon, as did Governor Mills. There were a number of letters that were drafted and sent out both to Danone uh, by Commissioner Beal and others at the state level, including state treasurer Henry Beck. Um, There were also um, letters that came from Governor Mills directly to Secretary Vilsack and others, really trying to amass support for Dairy, both in Maine and and regionally, because we know this regional food system and and dairy as a regional industry is incredibly important and incredibly interconnected across all of these New England states. Um, There was a fairly prompt uh, pledge of support from USDA for Northeast Dairy, which was really encouraging. We were able to work with working groups, both the state level and regionally to issue a series of really quite robust recommendations, some of which centered around um, really ameliorating economic harm and financial loss by providing funding opportunities, whether that is to individual farms or to the network of organizations and producers and processors that support those farms. Uh, and there's also, of course, uh, really a, a long list of policy initiatives that were recommended as part of the, the letter that was sent to USDA. And so in terms of, you know, coming together and identifying some actionable items, I think that was actually a, a relatively rapid turnaround, which was, I think, good. But, uh, you know, to Gary's point, policy initiatives, a lot of government change happens at a relatively slower pace than we would need to really make an immediate impact on the farmers who face contract termination. And so I think, you know, this is really, it, it requires a multilateral approach, not just state government, but representatives from industry, representatives from federal government, the state delegation, there's uh, really so many players that are going to bat for dairy farmers right now. And it's, it's really encouraging to see. Um, I would say that in addition to the working group efforts, whether that was regional or local and to some of the direct communication that the state had with uh, USDA and others, we actually um, had a pretty good finger on the pulse in terms of the potential of the main dairy economy. And so leading up to the contract termination crisis, we were doing quite a lot of work at the state level to identify and implement support including financial investment for agricultural processing infrastructure and so we know that the demand side and the consumer element of all agricultural markets are incredibly important you know everything stops with the consumer all the decisions lie with the consumer but you know it's also incredibly important to ensure that the infrastructure for any given agricultural category is robust enough to support that consumer demand, meaning that we can produce and process enough milk products and get them to where they need to go either in Maine or regionally or across the country in order to make sure that Maine dairy products are making their way onto shelves and into the kitchen tables of consumers. And so, you know, I think to sort of wrap up, Annie had mentioned that there were a number of articles that had come come out recently about why it's so important to if not save, then reinvest in the regional dairy economy. And it's really, it's an investment opportunity. It's not just coming in to save an old industry. And we, we sometimes use the term heritage industry to um, characterize agriculture and forestry and, and marine. Um, and I think that sometimes that gives um, perhaps uh, um, sort of a suggestion of antiquity and, and really agricultural economies in Maine and in New England, there's so much more than that. They're so robust and there's so much potential. The Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry here in Maine, we recently commissioned an economic impact assessment with the University of Maine School of Economics. And the outcome of that study included a really interesting finding about a specific agricultural infrastructure investment scenario. So we actually ran the models, ran formulas to try and understand whether or not the state could support a 50% increase in dairy product manufacturing, thinking about the potential for facility expansion and for additional processing outlets. And the findings of that study indicated that overall, the amount of milk produced on main farms could support an additional $468 million in sale and 690 workers in dairy product manufacturing. That is roughly equivalent to doubling Maine's existing dairy processing capacity. And the numbers here are really striking. And I, I know we're, we're not going to focus too much on numbers here, but I, I think this is really poignant. According to the outcome of our economic impact analysis, a 50% increase in dairy product manufacturing in Maine would result in approximately $227 million in sales over a 1,000 jobs and $46 million in labor income, including multiplier effects. That is worth investing in. And so I think the timing of the crisis was really unfortunate because of the sort of compounding effects of the pandemic and supply chain disruptions and all of this uncertainty that impacted all farmers. Um, But it also, our problem solving is occurring in a time when there is an unprecedented amount of federal funding available. And so if we're smart and we can align our organizational and state government goals with um, some of the many resources that are becoming available in general for economic harm mitigation, while also keeping an eye on the investment potential of agricultural industries like dairy, I think that's a recipe for finding our way forward a little bit more clearly.
1: Yeah. And CJ, is it okay if I just add on because Claire, uh, there's a lot in there. Of well, I think, I think I think especially for your audience, uh, it's really important to say that um, you know when Samuel and Louise came and originally started Stonyfield Yogurt in 1983, uh, and Russ Libby and others had you know, Mafka was just getting going. the, the fair was you know just getting going. Uh, organic, I have you know, I think we can all humbly admit it was a bit of a hypothesis back then. Uh, you know, can we produce better? Can we keep more money in local circulation? Uh, Is there enough of an economy out there that we could build around this whole idea of ecological uh, organic agriculture, carbon? You know, we knew the science, we could sequester carbon. We we knew it was good, you know, animal health. We knew grass-fed animals are are much healthier. The milk is healthier, all those things. What we didn't know is, is, could you build an economy? Could farmers actually make it? And uh, today uh, we can say, and of course I, you know what, I grew Stonyfield through this whole period from a seven cow little organic farming school in New Hampshire to a now half a billion dollar company. And we're just a part of a much bigger picture. Andy, you know, mentioned how big, I mean, Organic Valley is over a billion dollar co-op. Um, what is important to understand about this particular crisis and what Claire's talking about is that organic has really become the lifeline for family farms in our region. I'm not heaping, you know, ashes or dirt on conventional. It's just that it's much more difficult to make a living with conventional. Um, the pay price of organic uh, is substantially better. Uh, we pay our farmers even right this week, right now, where conventional prices have come up a bit. Um, we still pay over two hundred, over hundred percent more, two times what. And the costs of uh, that conventional farmers face in the fossil fuel dependent inputs uh, are are astronomically have been astronomically inflated. With organic farms, as your audience knows very well, your uh, your 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 equity is your soil. You're putting more and more labor and energy and resources into building something that will have long term return. Um, and, uh, of course the animals even live twice as organically fed cows actually live twice as long as conventional. So it's no longer a hypothesis. It's been a lifeline. Um, and I think what's unique about this partnership is it is we're saying, look, uh, let's tie all the knots, all the pieces together. You've got, as Claire said, macroeconomic opportunity. You know, would be one thing if we were talking about orange juice, which we, you know, barring catastrophic climate change, I don't think we're going to be talking about too much citrus in Maine, right? But dairy is something we do. I mean, you look at a County, I mean, oats and grain, and of course, there's been lots and lots of efforts with local feed sources, but this is something we can do. Uh, One last critical thing I wanna say, and Annie can speak to this better than I, I mean, one of the real keys to organic is that farmers can make money with fewer cows. Uh, you can make money, uh, our average herd size, like I said, is 66 cows. Annie mentioned she's milking 60. Um, That means that I've got farms making money with 20 cows, as well as, you know, 80 and 100. Uh, That allows the farmer to be diversified. You know, if you're milking 400 cows, there's no time to do anything else. Um, But here you can do eggs, as many of the Pete and Jerry's or other organic egg uh, suppliers do. They're also doubling as, you know, crop organic Valley farmers or what have you. Uh, and you also could do, you know, you can do maple syrup, you can do firewood, you can just do other things that diversifying and make you st- stable and more resilient. And so I think in the big picture, what we really need is we need consumers to understand and embrace this. And so in creating this seal that you've heard my colleagues mention the Northeast organic family farm seal, it's actually a license we're licensing uh, retailers like the co-ops I just mentioned, hopefully soon Hannaford, to actually proudly use the seal in conjunction with the participating brands so that a consumer, as Annie said, when they walk in, they'll be able to recognize at a glimpse, oh yes, those are the ones I want to support because they're the ones who are committed to these farms, to keeping this money in local circulation, to keeping these farms alive, to helping next gen generations be here. And that's that's really the critical link here. Is it, this cannot j- be done just by the farmers, and it can't be done just by the state, and it can't be done just by the processors. It's got to be all of us. And this, so we've tried to kind of create this ecosystem around a brand that uh, you know may not work, but at the moment it's looking very promising.
0: Thanks, Gary. We we're just kind of talking about the, the larger industry for dairy, but I'm wondering, could someone just speak to kind of the process to go, you know, from milking your cows this morning to that carton of milk that is on the shelf at the gross, grocery store, uh, the different steps in between. I don't know if Annie could you speak to that from, from your perspective with uh, Organic Valley.
2: Sure, I'm. Uh, we milk the we milk our cows twice a day, uh, five a.m. and five p.m. Essentially, um, that in itself is. At this point, we're we're in the middle of a transition for our, our milking system. So we're milking what's called a comfort stall, used to be known as a tie stall barn, which essentially means you bring everything to the cows. So all the milking equipment, all the feed, and that's that's part of chores. That takes about three to three and a half hours, twice a day, two people. So um, it's a tremendous amount of time just to get the milk from the cow to the, the bulk tank not to mention feeding them, cleaning up all the other chores involved on the farm um, to maintain the you know the farm, the cows' um, health and comfort. It's most important, frankly. Um, our milk gets picked up every other day. Uh, milk truck comes, just came this morning, backs up, into, up to our little milk house off the side of our barn where our bulk tank is and picks up our milk, um, adds it to, they, it's tested before it goes onto the tank to be sure that if there's any issues, they know where which farm has the issues. Um, then it's it's our milk specifically. We're an organic valley farm, but our milk all goes to Stonyfield yogurt. Um, the, the tanker truck—it's a, a pretty large truck, and it's a more more dangerous than not um, truck to drive, from what I understand. Um, drives very carefully, all the way down to Londonderry, New Hampshire, um, and it's offloaded. And I, I believe, again, they do another set of tests to be sure that the tanker load is, you know, up to up to snuff. There aren't any issues with the load. Um, if there are issues with the load, they'll reject it. Um, there are so many food safety measures that are taken. Um, it's it's pretty amazing, frankly. Uh, and then I guess Gary could probably speak better to this because he, he's done it himself. I mean, it, it all is, you know, pasteurized, homogenized and sorted into whatever process that you're going to be um, changing it into, um, transforming it, whether it's fluid milk, whether it's yogurt, cheese, butter, Um, and then from there, it depends on what sort of the the distribution mechanism is, but often um, it's picked up by a separate delivery system like a um, distribution uh, company and then brought to either a distribution hub or directly to f- stores to be sold. Um, so there are many, many people, many working parts of that chain, um, and it's you know it's it's a it's a pretty significant um, economical I guess economic device that we use to get our our farm our food from the farm to people's tables, um, and it's. It's, it's, it would be very easy to just be able to sell all of our product right out of our, right off our farm, um, but that doesn't make sense for the scale at which we, our farm specifically, is operating. Uh, we make too much milk that we couldn't, couldn't sell it to just our neighbors. So having the support of a co-op and a brand like Stonyfield that supports our co-ops um, is, you know, is, is, is the lifeline for us. It's the reason we're still in business. Um, and, you know, I, I should mention, which I'm, I'm not used to mentioning that I'm a first-generation dairy farmer. Um, it's sort of in, in dairy conversations, like the first thing people say is how long they've been farming. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my husband and I bought our farm in 2013 and he'd had experience dairying actually in Lincolnville, so not far from UCJ. Um, he was the last dairy farmer to go out. He was farming conventionally and at a time when the pay price was just, pretty terrible in 2005. I believe it was conventional It's like $11, a hundred or something just, just wrong. Um, and so we, you know, in 2013 kind of made this decision that this is a business that we, that, that my husband is very, is a very good farmer. And I saw, you know, the potential if we were milking organically, that philosophically it kind of aligned with all of my values. Um, and I thought it was a great way to raise kids. And it was a, no, uh, there was a bit there was a business here that we could actually be successful doing we were for quite a while um, and we still are we're, you know making tremendous investments it requires it's a commitment like no other frankly um, to own this kind of farm and to be a be a dairy farmer conventional or organic um, and so having the support system around us to help us get our milk to market is is as important as our vet. I mean, it's as important as as anything else in our business. Um, and so, having a partner like Organic Valley and being a members of a co-op that is farmer-owned, even though they are a national brand, it has provided some um, some peace of mind. But not it doesn't doesn't make us sleep you know, soundly at night, because we know that everything's great on the mark in the milk market, because, you know, it's a, it's a challenging industry to be a part of. Um, and I spoke with some of my, my, my partners in my business, the processing business. And we all for the most part are young farmers, where I think we're all under the age of 40. And so we all kind of have this conversation around like, are did we join? Did we are we in business, like joining an industry that is dying? Like that doesn't make it doesn't, compute to us. So like what Claire was saying about um, the sort of heritage idea of, of dairying, um, it's, it's something that I constantly push up against and fight with. Um, I think being a woman in this industry, a young woman specifically, it's, it's been, I've had to push up against this sort of mentality of, oh no, it's just, you know, the, the typical dairy farmer is, you know, a 65 year old man. Um, And so it's, It's trying to breathe life into people's perceptions of what is, you know, what what does a farmer look like? And like a farmer doesn't isn't somebody that's necessarily out riding their tractor with their, you know, wide brim hat on. And overall, you know, farmers might look a little bit different today. And um, I think that just bringing this sort of awareness to the consumers of how important our small farms are, especially, to their communities and to their, you know, local economies is incredibly important. And, um, you know, I feel very lucky to be farming in Maine, because we do have such a robust support network from the department and from all of the programs that they set up for, you know, to support our dairies and really the understanding that our department has at the state level of what an an economic, what economic impact our dairies have. I mean, just what Claire was just saying about, you know, the deep dive into the numbers of what an investment in this industry looks like and what it could, what the return could be. Um, it's just tremendous. And I think that that's something that not every other state in the country has really done a deep dive into. And so I feel very appreciative that we have a state that is so, um, that understands the complexities but also the importance of these farms because they truly are the backbone of our rural communities and our rural economies because, you know, I live on a farm where I, I live in a neighborhood, excuse me, in Whitefield, where we have our farm, then we have a conventional dairy farm next door. They milk about 35 cows. We also have an organic vegetable farm and general store down the road from us. And we all collectively work together, you know, to keep the land around us maintained, keep it looking the way people love that it looks. I mean, this these fields don't just stay fields. Forever by accident. I mean, it requires a tremendous amount of maintenance, um, and so it's it's been, you know, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride so far. But I do, you know, I have to say that between Mosca and the department and uh, Maine Farmland Trust, the various stakeholder groups that are um, involved day to day on you know in supporting our dairies, it's we're very very fortunate. And, I, you know, I'm happy to have the partnership as just another way that we can support um, all of this good work and in a more uh, tangible way for consumers, frankly, because ultimately when it comes down to it, Horizon Left is leaving all of these farms. They're leaving all these farm families, but they're not leaving their, they're not leaving the money on the table. They're not saying, oh, we're also not going to be shipping. You're not going to be putting our cartons of milk into your grocery stores. No, they're still going to be trying to sell their milk to Maine families and to Northeastern families. And that sort of feels, feels a little bit off. And so if we can do something to better um, you know, support the dairies that are staying here and the companies and processors that are um, sourcing and supporting our dairies, then let's try to do that because it's, it's valuable and worthy.
0: You are tuned to Common Ground Radio. And today we are talking with members of the Northeast Organic Family Farm Partnership. My guests on the show today are Annie Watson of Sheepscot Valley Farm in Whitefield, Maine, Gary Hirschberg, co-founder and former CEO of Stonyfield Farm, and Claire Eaton with the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. Claire, I wanted to give you a a chance to to add some in. Looks like you had some thoughts. Oh, so many thoughts.
3: It's just, it's (laughs) this, this, triplet of Ann and Gary and I, we'd probably just build off each other all day. Um, but, you know, I think listening to Annie talk about how her neighbor is a conventional dairy farmer and hearing her talk about how much work and effort goes into maintaining farmland pasture. I, I think, you know, it's par- part of my job is to pull things up to the macro level and keep this sort of, you know, 30,000 foot outlook on Maine agriculture. And I think, you know there's a couple of things wrapped up in here that are really important for consumers to understand like when you support main dairy you know especially organic dairy you're also supporting these incredibly important indirect environmental impacts like land preservation and i think there was recently a portland press herald editorial board Um, piece that came out that touched upon this, you know, part of preserving the dairy industry is this like incredible legacy of land stewardship. And so there are just all these different elements to what it means to invest in and steward the dairy economy. Um, The other thing I thought about, and I, I think it's really important to note this, that from the state perspective, you know, our interest is really in making sure that farmers have options and that they can access a variety of different types of strong markets. And and we're really here for all farms, whether they're organic or conventional. And part of the beauty of the partnership is that if we are growing demand for organic demary, we're growing consumer engagement and supporting organic dairy, that will have indirect benefits of increasing awareness and appreciation for all dairy products. So it's really this like comprehensive opportunity to get consumers engaged, to get committed to supporting local dairy, whether it's in Maine or Vermont or New Hampshire or New York. Um, And I think the the potential impact of the partnership, you know, even beyond the immediate term are, are really important and potentially lasting.
0: Within the partnership objectives, I think Gary, you kind of mentioned there's a few different levels we're looking at, you're looking at consumer level, but then also kind of a wholesaler uh, retailer, different levels to, to sign on. Could you just speak sure. a little bit more about that um, that licensed yeah, piece that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, the mechanics. So just to be clear, and by the way, we chose the word partnership for a very real reason that my colleagues have expressed so beautifully. We all need to be partners with f- these farmers. That That's the pro- problem. Annie's just described her day. By the way, I, I do need to say when I called Annie and picked her brain about this, and I said, "Listen, I'm building a board, and I tried to talk her out of it because <laughs> you've just heard what she does." And I said, "Please, you know, you are crazy." And she said, ah, "I can't not do this." So, uh, and the same with the courses over in Vermont. They're like similarly heroic. I don't really believe any of these people sleep, so I just need to say that. Um, but look, uh, we we the, the way it works is is super simple. We. Um, We invite consumers to be partners by making this pledge that I said, one in four of your weekly items from the participating brands. They're all on our website. I should have said this earlier. Uh, It's uh, saveorganicfamilyfarms.org. Go to the website, saveorganicfamilyfarms.org. And that's where you'll see the list of the 35 brands. Then um, the the brands, the brands are all, they have have committed to uh, two of three things, one, uh, at least 50% of the milk in, in the products that they're selling in the market are from the market. So that's Andy's point about, it's not enough to just bring your products here. You got to actually support the farmers here and or your farmer owned, which is another way farmers make money. As Annie said, she's a co-op member. She's, a, she's building equity in her co-op and or they have made a public pledge to grow uh, the, the, their use of organic family farm milk in the region. So that's the partner brands. Then on the retail side to your question, and I use retail loosely, as you can tell, I'm talking about any place milk is sold, convenience stores, uh, uh, restaurants, uh, university cafeterias, business and industry cafeterias. If you are listening to this and you work for Unim or one of the big companies that has a, their own food service, we would love you to be a partner. We'd love that entity. And the way you become a partner is you sign an agreement. It's incredibly simple. It's a license agreement. And, and you make two commitments. One, you're gonna carry one or more of these 35 brands. It might be a single farms, farmstead cheese. Um, you know, I love to use the example of uh, 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 Von Trapp family cheese in Vermont. It's just a one farm operation. They make beautiful farmstead cheeses. That might be it. Uh, and you are committed to growing the consumption or the purchase of those products in 2022 versus how much you bought in 2021. It's not a audit. We're not holding your feet to the fire. It's all best intention, right? It's all uh, goodwill, but that gets you a license. You actually literally sign a legal agreement that allows you to use the mark. And and hopefully again, um, y- your listeners will start to see these in the co-ops, you know, from Belfast co-op and, you know, all, all the co-ops across the region uh, will hopefully soon be uh, celebrating this. And and, and and hopefully some of the universities will with Sodexo's partnership and others. I'm um, old friends with um, uh, Christine Schwartz, who's the uh, head of food service at Bates College. That's where my son went to school. And of course she had to deal with me for four years. Um, but Christine is a uh, really committed to local. And this is now we're asking her to really consider becoming partners and, you know, she she might pick up some cheese she might pick up some milk she might pick up some yogurt she might pick up some sour cream uh whatever uh, like i said before uh if if 10% of people in the region bought one more pint per week we would solve this problem so um that's the the that's the partnership everyone's a partner each doing their own thing ultimately making sure that there's a better uh and more stable economy and market for people uh, like Annie and her colleagues
0: are there other I'm just thinking on the educational side of, for folks to find out more information yeah. about how to get involved or more resource resources just to become a little more educated on on the dairy system.
1: Yeah, I I I'll say my part and I'm sure my colleagues have some other ads here. Uh first the number one thing you can do as a listener is uh, go to saveorganicfamilyfarms.org and sign the pledge. That's really simple. It's not a big, heavy lift. Probably most of your listeners are already supporting Annie and other organic dairy farmers in Maine. So it's 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 literally no lift at all. It's all you're pledging is to buy one in four items. But more importantly, uh, go to your PTO, go to your local uh, marketplace, your library, your dump, get other people to sign it. The power of our numbers cannot be minimized. Every, All of us three have, have said it. When Mike Vale and his colleagues at Hannaford here, there's 10,000 Mainers who signed this thing, uh, that's gonna get their attention. As I say, we're getting their attention anyways. Uh, the governor has been really heroic here and Amanda has been really the uh, commissioner, but, um, but there's nothing that speaks louder than consumers saying, yeah, this is important to me. So that's the number one thing. Uh, second thing I wanna say, to your audience, uh, is, you know, I, 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 paid homage to Mafka at the beginning and I want to end here. I, I, you know, I am a, uh, a, a child, a beneficiary of all that Mafka has been, uh, Paul and Mo- Molly, Molly all, uh, you know, used to spend time in their kitchen and on their farm back in blue hill. And, you know, 40 years ago learning. And even before that, with the nearings, uh, you know, and, uh, you know all that MAFCA has done with the fair, all the education it is incredible, right? Like it's changed the, the the landscape, and the certification, which by the way just got noted by uh, this uh, and honored by uh, the USDA. So congratulations to MAFCA on that. Um, you know, I'm I'm as proud of MAFCA as I am of Stonyfield, which is now you know a half a billion dollar company supporting you know hun- th- hundreds and hundreds of farms. But I will say. I will say that as I sit here at, in my mid-60s, taking stock of my last 40 years, and now with a grandbaby looking ahead, uh, we got to do better. we got to go further. Uh, it's not enough to talk among just ourselves. Um, and that's really the point of the partnership, is to get that seal out there uh, so that consumers at a glance, who, let's face it, especially during COVID, are challenged right it's hard to do anything you don't know one week to another if it's safe for your kids to go to school and you know gather and go to the grocery store and so on but if you could just at a glance see this mark and um, and then know that and just make that automatic purchase that's how we're going to have long-term health care. it's not the only way as annie has said there's plenty of other i mean the mofka uh, organic seal is you know really uh, in the usDA seal i mean but mark certification really crucial but that is something that, again, more consumers participating is going to get that seal out there into the common language. That's why we're into the common uh, uh, everyday economy. That's really what we're trying to do: is take organic up to another level. You know, the good news is, is around a $60 billion national industry. Uh, the bad news is, is about 1.4 percent of U.S. Uh, pasture and cropland. So uh, we want it; we need it to be more stable. And this market, this region, is uniquely positioned to make. Organic dairy, uh, you know, permanently a part of our landscape. So that's what the seal's about.
0: Okay, thanks, Gary. Claire, do you have any closing closing thoughts? I mean, I'm sure we could keep on talking for a whole nother hour.
3: I'm sure we could. I, I think you know, I think this is just a great opportunity for Maine and for the region, and um, it's actually a pretty simple way to make a pretty big change. And so if if you're thinking about making the pledge and going out to buy some dairy products, another great thing about the website and Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a list of brand partners. So you can look and see where you yeah. might be able to buy um, dairy products. And it, you know, we all are really familiar with the Hannafords and our local grocery stores, whether that's an IGA, but there's also a lot of small retail operators. So throw on your boots and your scarf, visit your neighbors, buy some local dairy uh, and make sure you uh, sign the pledge.
0: Annie, I'll, cycle over to you for any, any final thoughts with, I know a lot of, a lot of work ahead for everybody.
2: For sure. But that's something that, you know, as, as Mainers, I don't think we've ever really shied away from, Um, As you know, people in the Northeast, we can be seen as like ruthlessly independent, but now is the time when it's uh, about embracing, embracing these partnerships and this partnership specifically. Um, And, you know, I'll just say for, for people that feel like they don't, That the dairy industry and the dairy world is so out of their purview. You know, if you drive down the road and enjoy like the scenic view of the rolling fields that are hidden amongst woodlots, then oftentimes you have a small family farm to thank for that, a small family dairy farm. Um, And that's often gone very unnoticed. um, And I hope that we can bring attention to not only the farm families behind these, you know, beautiful tracts of land that we all love, but this nutritious and delicious product that we produce, um, because there, while everyone likes to say, oh, well, dairy consumption, dairy consumption is just declining. That's not actually the case. It's up while people might not be drinking as much fluid milk as we once were. Uh, we're consuming, I think, uh, we're consuming far more cheese and butter and yogurt and dairy products than we have before. Mm. Um, and, your dairy, it matters. Where your dairy comes from matters. It makes a difference. If you want to support local and shop local, buy local dairy. That is an incredibly important part of um, the system that you know, supports not only our dairy farms, but also our vegetable farms and all of the other infrastructure that is, you know, helps, is helped by the dairies, frankly. Um, and we have fewer than 200 dairies left in the state of Maine. And so let's, let's try to do whatever we can to, to stop losing any more. Um, and if we can build the market enough so that some conventional farms might see it within, you know, their realm to transition to organic, that hasn't happened in a long time because there just hasn't been market demand. There hasn't been um, enough growth within the industry. So that's what I would love to see. I would love to see the, the, Potential for more um, conventional farms to be able to transition to organic, to um, for the pay price, for the philosophical reasons, for the um, environmental stewardship. You know, it's it's incredibly important to me um, and to our economy and our planet. <laughs> and it's just it's a it's a valuable um, it's 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 worth it's worth saving. It's worth doing whatever we can to stop um, the decline.
0: Well, I think we have come to the end of our time for the show here today. I'll just uh, repeat there that the website we've been talking about for the partnership is saveorganicfamilyfarms.org. Uh, you can find a lot more uh, educational materials there, as well as through the MOFCA website itself at mofca.org. So to kind of wrap up, I'd just like to thank my guests again for being here on the show with me today, I'd like to thank Annie Watson from Sheepscot Valley Farm down in Whitefield, Maine, and Gary Hirschberg, CEO or former CEO and co-founder of Stonyfield Farm, and also Claire Eaton from the Maine department of agriculture, conservation, and forestry. So uh, thanks again to everyone for being here, and I really uh, appreciate you being part of the show for us. Common Ground Radio is brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU, which can be heard at 4 p.m. on the second Thursday of every month right here and only here on your community radio station, WERU 89.9 FM and WERU.org. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great programming.